Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? Mate, I am knackered. I've had five hours sleep for two nights in a row. And so I feel like a bit of a zombie right now. But I'm sure this is going to be a fun convo. How are you? Not bad, mate. I've actually had a great day. Um, Sheen and I went shopping in Brighton. And I basically refreshed a large chunk of my wardrobe. And I've never had so much fun shopping before in my life. But it's like I was going into shops with the intent to buy stuff. And I was like, I found good things. Try them on. I was like, okay, this is legit. And I'm going to buy it. It's like... I just, I, I've just, I've just like never, ever done that before. <laughs> and it was so great. We were just walking around with these bags everywhere. And like, we'd walk into a shop as, as it was about to close. And I think they'd see the bags in our hand and be like, oh, no, it's fine. We, you know, we'll stay open for another like, 20 minutes or something. Just like usher us in. And it was, it felt like a very nice and nice experience overall. So good, good vibes. What kind of stuff did you get? What's the new style? You'll see. I'm, I'm, I might do a clothing haul for my, for my YouTube channel. Um, awesome. But like this, this hoodie, for example, it's like really soft, isn't it soft? Oh, yeah, it's really soft. Um, <laughs> but enough about me. Um, today is an exciting day because we are joined by a returning guest. Yes. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Do I say my name? <laughs> yeah. Lucia, can you introduce yourself uh, to the, um, the yeah. listeners? My name is Lucia. I'm a friend of Ali, Ali and Thames. It's my, it's my identity, apparently. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like we're bad. We're bad at introducing guests. I feel like the right thing. I to think do you need to host. say their name. You can't yeah, make... the right thing to do yeah. is you know we're really excited to have a very special guest join us this week. Um, Lucia is returning to the podcast. She's a you know, very good friend of both of ours, um, and we're going to talk about you know whatever it is we're going to talk about. You know, I think that that's what the intros need to be. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I have to say, I agree. I felt very, I felt very unsure of how to. Okay. Take the lead on that intro yeah, there. Very yeah. No, I do. Say, Dolly. <laughs> I do. I do. I do apologize. I do apologize. Um, Alrighty. You, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. We've had a fun weekend. We've been in uh, Brighton um, and we've been enjoying the beach and walking around and chilling. Yeah, it's been great. Oh, nice. Bit of a staycation, yeah. if you will. Before we dive into the, uh, the topic of this podcast, uh, we were looking at to, to, to see whether we've got any sponsors lined up. And it seems like we actually don't have any sponsors lined up for the next month or so. Um, and I was chatting to one of our other mutual friends, Paul Millard, who's been a guest on the podcast, uh, I think last week for his podcast. It's all very meta. And I mentioned this, this sponsor thing to him and he was saying that, yeah, like if you don't have a sponsor for an episode, what you can do is you can like, in a way you can replace the sponsor with like a shout out to something that you think deserves attention oh. or warrants the audience's attention yeah. just without being paid for it. And so, Lucia, you were saying earlier that you would like to do the sponsored plug. So do you have anything that you would like to give a shout out to? Like this episode is brought, well, in this episode, we're going to give a free shout out to. Should we give a shout out to Leap? Is that legit? I feel like we're talking about Leap for the whole thing anyway. So we should shout out something else. Is there any other cause that you would like to be shouted out? Um, We could shout out to GiveWell. Okay. What is GiveWell? Yeah. GiveWell is a, a charity evaluator. They do really great work researching high impact charities. Um, and they have like recommendations for places where you can like in, have your most most impact with your donations. Is that a lame shout out? 
Uh, usually, you want to have a call to action. Okay, the call to action would be to go on the website and read about it, and even yeah, think about uh, donating to Give Well recommended charities. Nice, and that's yeah. GiveWell.org, which will be linked in the show notes and in the video description wherever you're watching this. So thank you, Give Well, for not sponsoring this episode, <laughs> but for do- for doing good work to help save lives across the globe. Yeah, is that fair enough? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, how was that? Very good. <laughs> That's cool. I like that idea of like a non-sponsored sponsor. Yeah, it's cool. Like a, a free shout out to, you know, yeah. this thing is kind of cool. Y'all should check it out. Yeah. Anyway, on to the topic of this episode. Uh, we didn't quite have a defined topic, no. but I thought it would be interesting to get into the charity that you're running. Because mm. you, you featured on the podcast, I think a few months ago, or maybe mm. sometime last year. And we talked a lot about effective altruism as a concept and sort of the theory is the theories behind it and how um you know for example the pledge that tame and i have taken the giving and, and you of course as well the giving what we can pledge the, to donate 10 percent of our income each year to effective charities um but since then you've actually started your own charity which yeah. is very cool and so I, th- I thought it would just be cool to talk about the experiences of that and how that's been if you're down yeah that would be fun i'm up for talking about that Sweet. all right um, let me uh let me add a bit of structure by um, asking some questions and things like that. So I think it'll be helpful, you know, if folks haven't listened to the previous episode, you know, let's just chat a bit about kind of your background and how you got into this, and then we can kind of get into the, the details. So do I have this right, that roughly um, you studied medicine and worked as a doctor? Pretty rough. Sorry? I said it was pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So studied medicine, worked as a doctor for two years, and then decided to take a career break from doctoring to start this charity. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Okay, cool. And what was your, you know, before we get into the sort of charity itself, what was kind of the, what was kind of the thought process during university of like, you know, how do I, you know, what do I want to do with my life? How do I want to contribute mm. to the world? And, you know, how did you get into sort of just briefly into sort of all this effective altruism stuff? Um, and yeah, how did you get onto this path where, starting a charity is a is a thing that's even on your radar you know because i, th- I yeah. think for most for most people it's um it's just not on their radar you know yeah yeah it definitely wasn't for me to begin with either i guess um going back to the like how did you start thinking about like the effective altruism thing and that kind of thing that probably goes back uh to, to reading a um a paper by peter singer who's a philosopher called Famine, Affluence and Morality. Um, And uh, he basically makes the argument that if you can prevent suffering without sacrificing something of like equal moral significance, then it's it's wrong not to do so or it makes sense to do so. Um, And it shouldn't make a difference whether that person is like a neighbor or someone right in front of you or whether that person is thousands of miles away in another country. Um, that we kind of have this an equal moral responsibility to people who we can't see and people who we whose lives we're not connected to as we as we do to those right in front of us, or maybe not equal, but it's not like that materially different the like moral responsibility that we have. Mm. Um, so I think then I 
kind of that's like quite an important idea to me that I I pretty much agree with Um, and so going into my career I wanted to do something where I could have like a positive impact on the world um, prevent suffering and that kind of thing Um, and naively perhaps I thought oh well I'll be a doctor then Um, (laughs) I thought uh, I thought I'd probably work in public health or global health or something like that Um, so yes that's why I went into medicine Um, And then in med school, I got involved in the effective altruism movement, um, which I think we've probably talked about quite a few times before. But basically, it's this idea that um, you can use like evidence and reason to work out the most effective ways to improve the world and then uh, try and act on it. Um, And yeah, so that's kind of like my like main interest and medicine was what I was doing and so I was always thinking of ways to increase my positive impact um, beyond just like working in clinical medicine treating one patient at a time but not really having much of a wider um, yeah just just you're you're limited to some extent like uh, you just you just are uh, in like traditional clinical medicine Um, so at what point did the prospect of starting a charity kind of come on come onto your radar as like a thing that people do and as a thing that maybe what you could do one day yeah it was actually um i saw a friend do it um a friend of mine started fortify health uh which is a give well incubated charity fortifying wheat flour um and what does that mean uh so you know like anemia uh micronutrient deficiencies are quite a big problem in a lot of parts of the world so uh, you can add iron and other micronutrients to wheat flour, um, and then people. The idea is that people will then be less anemic, and that will improve their quality of life and uh, that kind of thing. So that's what that's what she does in India. Okay. Um, so the, the, and so how yeah. recent was this? Was this like this was like a couple of years ago, or this was like you know a decade this, ago? This was like four years ago. So yeah, it wasn't on my wasn't really on my radar like most of the way through medical school. And then okay. I and I always thought like you know starting starting a charity, starting a business, that sounds like something that's not really the type of thing that someone like me would do it sounds like the type of thing that like i don't know a charismatic entrepreneur would do who's like you know i don't know it just wasn't it was just never something i thought of as something that i would do um but then i saw i saw this friend do it um nikita and i saw like she was like i don't know more relatable to me um i suppose um and then i was like huh okay that's now in the list of options of things to do yeah do you know what I mean? Well, so, so you know, um, people started charities, but they just they looked very different to you. You know, they're probably like male, they, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And and then after seeing someone who was kind of your mates, who you know, that was like, well, I could yeah. do this basically. Yeah, yeah. So I guess one thing was that I found her quite relatable, and the other thing is that when you see someone do a thing, you realize like the steps involved, and it's not just like mm. start a charity. What is that? How does one do that? It's more yeah. like okay, you come up with an idea, you get seed funding, you, uh, like all the kind of smaller processes within it become more, uh, understandable and doable mm. when you, when you see someone do something. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. It's, it, it's like with anything else where, uh, you know, to, to a lot of people starting a YouTube channel might feel like, Oh God, this is like a black box. I, I wouldn't know what it takes. Mm-hmm. But for example, for you now starting a YouTube channel would would be yeah. very reasonably within the realms of possibility because yeah. you know what it, like what all the steps are yeah equally for me and Tame starting a charity feels is, is a black box like how do you even go about it but if one of our well <laughs> if if we were along the journey for you starting your charity we would know that okay oh these are the steps involved yeah and we know that we've got you so now if we want to start a charity we'd be like hey Lucia how does one start a charity yeah exactly yeah yeah, mm. yeah. 
So I um, there's actually like an incubator of charity startups for uh, charity ideas that are uh, well, like very well researched. Um, and the idea is that they are like very high impact and cost effective. So I joined that uh, charity incubator uh, called Charity Entrepreneurship. Um, and that was another thing that helped. I think I, without that, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to do it either because again, it's just like, there's so much you need to learn. Um, mm. I guess you guys have both started like uh, businesses. So it's kind of maybe uh, you know about this, but there's just like, just so many different different mm. aspects of like running a new organization. Um, and it is quite daunting if you don't have someone like guiding you through stuff as well. So it's like knowing people who've done it, it's understanding the process and also having that support of, of the incubator and the, the incubation program um, yeah. made it a lot more uh, feasible for me, I think, yeah. Okay, so if I can summarize the journey so far. So mm. my understanding is at the age of 12, you discovered the, 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 the writings of Peter Singer. I did, yeah. You realized, oh my God, like this guy has been putting into words the feeling that you've had in your mind for such a long time, that this idea that... Um, you know, often people would use the the example of, let's say, the child drowning in a pond in front of you. And obviously mm-hmm. you would jump in and save the child if they were literally drowning in front of you. Um, and if, if it's like, OK, what if your £3,000 suit got ruined in the process? Well, you, of course, you would still jump in and stay, save the child because the life of a child is worth more than your £3,000 suit. And then it's like, what if that child were like, you know, across the, you know, 100 meters away from you? Would you still jump in? Of course you would. What if they happen to be across the border in a different country? Well, just because they're in a different country across the border doesn't necessarily, you know, of course, they're still worth saving. And you extend that far enough, you get to the point that, you know, there are millions of children dying all around the world that we can't see. Are they worth any less saving than our own, than our own like cost of a life? And would we pay a certain amount of money or do certain things to save those children who we can't see? Mm-hmm. And there's this idea, um, you know, you know, I've done a video about it on the YouTube channel, uh, which is that basically, yeah, as, as you said, just because people are far away doesn't mean their lives should be worth, like morally worth less than the lives of people that we know mm. necessarily. And so you discovered that sort of thing. And that led you to, for example, like the effective altruism movement, which includes things like 80,000 hours and GiveWell is sort of associated with that. Mm-hmm. GiveWell being this charity this uh, charity evaluator that basically ranks charities in terms of their cost effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got super involved in this thing during university um, in an attempt to try and reduce suffering in the world in a sort of scientifically based kind of effective way. Mm. And then six years of university, two years of being a doctor, and now we're both in our career career yeah. break where I've decided to screw around and make YouTube videos. <laughs> and you decided that the way you could have the, the most impact on reducing suffering in the world, which is your primary driver, is through starting a charity. Yeah. Nice. Nice, uh, well, nice suffering, Ali. So before, before we get to the charity itself, so four years ago, okay, so, so presumably... You have known that charities exist and that people have started charities for, for a long time. Four years ago, one of your friends started a charity. What was then, and, and, and four years ago, you would have uh, been in the final year of med school or something? Uh, penultimate. Okay. Yeah. So you're st- still in med school four years ago. Your friend started a charity. So now it's kind of on your radar. What yeah. What are the kind of, what was sort of like the, the key turning points between then and now that kind of got you to actually do it? Um, yeah, so I think one thing was that for a while I was thinking, um, I should, you know, carry on with my medical training, specialize in something, be fully legit, fully qualified. Um, and then, uh, I can go and do the more, more impactful stuff. Um, but then I realized like, what am I really waiting for? 
um, like those like a lot of those, you gain a lot of skills specializing in like a medical specialty, um, but they're not like that relevant to some of the maybe more impactful paths that I would consider taking. Um, and also the most, the best way to like learn the skills of doing something like a, a charity startup is probably to do it rather mm. than like, you know, generally building career capital. Um, so I was, yeah, I thought let's just, let's, let's not wait, let's get going. Let's make some try and have an impact so why was it why was it um after your second year of being a full-time doctor rather than after your first year or even before even becoming a full-time doctor yeah um so one good thing about doing it after your second year is that in the uk after your second year you're like fully qualified and it's quite easy to leave and come back if you want to so you it's a really easy way to keep your options open um like now i can do the occasional locum shift or i can take a couple years out and go back full time or go back to do some locums and that kind of thing so um yeah, it's just the keeping options open aspect. Same yep. alley, right? Yeah. A bit more of a safety net in case the charity thing doesn't work out. You could always just mm. um, get a job as a doctor and, and then yeah. figure, figure out the next thing. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Can So what was the story about how you decided to do this particular idea that your charity is now about? Mm. Yeah, so that was that partly came through the incubation program. So charity entrepreneurship research um, charity ideas, um, and they start with hundreds of ideas and they narrow them down through this like uh, research process to f to identify the ones that seem uh, most promising in terms of the potential impact of the charity that's founded. Um, and they had a number of recommended ideas, and one of them was. Uh, the one that we started, which I haven't even explained what that is yet. No. But, um, <laughs> so our charity uh, aims to reduce childhood lead poisoning um, by advocating for uh, regulation of sources of lead exposure in lower income countries. And that sounds like super niche. And like, why would you ever think of that like yeah who cares like, about lead poisoning like lead poisoning, <laughs> like, lead poisoning even as doctors is not on our radar was it uh, it's 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 like the fourth cause of microcytic anemia that you yeah. learn in a mnemonic like tails t-a-i-l-s it's the l in that mnemonic like i <laughs> beyond that cause of microcytic anemia i've never once heard of lead poisoning as being a thing so yeah. what, what's the deal with yeah. lead poisoning? so basically it's affects one in three children worldwide um and it does have really significant impacts that the the majority of the impacts of lead poisoning are not like so acute that it would bring them into hospital, but it's quite subtle things. Um, when children are exposed to lead, it affects their developing brains because it's a neurotoxin. Um, so it reduces their cognitive abilities. It reduces their intelligence. Um, it causes behavioral disorders um, and it has an impact on educational attainment. And it also has an impact on future earnings. So that's some of the like most some of the most negative impacts of the kind of low level of lead exposure that one in three children are exposed to worldwide. Um, and yeah, it's pretty, pretty scary and pretty significant. Um, it's thought that 1% um, of the global burden of disease is caused by lead exposure. And that's partly because it causes intellectual disability. And that's partly because it also causes cardiovascular disease and renal disease. Um, and it's also thought that $1 trillion dollars one trillion? That sounds like a lot. That sounds like a sort of national yeah. levels yeah. of dollars. <laughs> yeah. One. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, in in some lower income countries, around six percent of GDP 
is estimated to be lost due to lead exposure. And that's because of the impact on uh, cognitive development and future earnings. So it has this huge impact on economic productivity and poverty as well. So, yeah, it's just as bizarrely neglected and, uh, uh, yeah, problem with, with, with very low awareness and very few resources going towards it. It's not been researched very uh, substantially. Like, it's not known what, a lot of, what the sources are in a lot of countries. Um, and there's very little money going into solving the problem. So it seems like a big problem, huge scale, affecting a lot of people, very significant negative impacts and very neglected. Um, and so if there's a potential solution, it seems like a very, a very good thing to focus on. And that's, that's, why, that's why we decided to focus on it. Okay. Yeah. So, so lead poisoning is this thing which is like this grumbling low level of like badness in the world mm. to the point where some people estimate that it's like 1% of the global burden of disease. 1% mm. of the global burden is a hell of a lot of disease mm. caused by lead poisoning. But it's not something that you can point to as being like, oh, lead poisoning causes this thing. And therefore, no one is really doing anything about it in some countries because like it's... It's yeah. sort of like in the background and it's, it doesn't really affect something that you can see like immediately yeah. in front of you. It's very invisible. Yeah. Okay. Mm. yeah. Um, and yeah, $1 trillion lost to the economies of low and middle income countries every year. Like, it's just insane. Like, yeah. Who, yeah how did I not know that before? But anyway, yeah. there you go. <laughs> okay. So you've identified so that charity entrepreneurship has identified that, hang on, there's this lead poisoning thing, which is a pretty big deal, which no one is paying attention to and which has very little money going into it. Mm -hmm. And then they're thinking, okay, if we can, if like we as an organization can do something about this problem, then the amount of impact we have is actually pretty huge Yeah. because this is such a huge problem. Mm -hmm. So what can you then do about it? Like surely if it's such a huge problem, it's like insurmountable almost. Yeah. Well, you... Yeah, you'd think so, but it turns out that actually one of the one important source of lead poisoning is lead paint, um, which is a pretty unnecessary problem. So lead paint is just people put lead ingredients into paint, and they have done for a very long time, and they used to do it in the UK, in the US, and a lot of high income countries um, because it can be a pigment, it can be a color, it can also help the paint dry. Um, but it's not necessary ingredient. There are alternatives. And in a lot of higher income countries, it's regulated. You can't put lead in paint. And so um, that means that children aren't exposed because basically when the lead paint's on the wall, it forms like dust and flakes. And then little kids, they have like hand to mouth behavior and they get the paint from the floor into their mouth and they get lead poisoning. But it turns out in a lot of other countries, especially low income countries, um, there is just still a load of lead in paint um, for no real good reason. Even in the countries that we're working in, lower-income countries, uh, there are alternatives available. It's just not known how much of a problem it is. And it's also not known that there is lead in paint. Like, obviously, probably uh, some people know that they're putting lead ingredients in, but there's no evidence, like, in like at a national level or uh, s studies to show that there's lead in paint. So, yeah. So, that's, so basically, the solution is to uh, advocate for the regulation of lead paint um, to reduce lead poisoning in countries where there's a large burden of lead poisoning from paint. Okay. Does that make sense? So back in the day, we all used mm. to put lead into our paint for reasons, because it like helps make pigments and all that mm -hmm. crap. Mm -hmm. At some point, people realized, hang on, lead is kind of bad. Let's get rid of lead paint. Mm. High-income countries like the UK, the US, etc. Yeah. said we're going to have governmental regulation to make it illegal to have lead in paint. Mm. And obviously, once it's illegal, all of the manufacturers of paint have to be like, all right, let's figure out alternative ingredients that don't involve lead. Yeah. To, to the point that now in the UK, like there is no lead, lead in paint. No. Because that's just dumb. Like, why would you have lead in paint? But in a lot of other countries, 
that's just not been a thing. Like there is no, it, it, it is not illegal to have lead in paint. Mm. And because it's not illegal and no one's really paying attention to it, you're saying that it's just kind of paint has had lead in it for the last like 50 years yeah. <laughs> and no one's done anything about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the, the thing that you're doing about it is what? Yeah. So we're advocating for lead paint regulation, which sounds kind of vague. Like what does that really yeah. mean? But what we actually do is we identify countries where we think there's likely to be lead paint on the market. Um, so, for example, we identified that we thought there was probably going to be lead paint in the paint market in Malawi because there was in neighboring countries. It hadn't been studied in Malawi, so we didn't know for sure. Um, but we wanted to find out. So we went to Malawi. We bought a load of paint. Um, we went to all the paint markets, all the hardware stores, um, spoke to the painters and, uh, yeah, bought a load of paint. Um, we dried the paint and then we sent it to a lab and had it analyzed for lead. And we found out that uh, over... Over 50% of the solvent-based paints contained high levels of lead. Um, and that wasn't something that was known before. Um, so we took that uh, to the Ministry of Health and to the Bureau of Standards. Um, and we explained that uh, this is a problem. This is the consequences of lead exposure. Um, there are alternative ingredients available. There's no... It, we can help manufacturers switch to lead-free. Um, and the Ministry of Health said, OK, we will... Uh, implement the regulation so they actually did have a, a regulation in the, in their like in the book saying like there should be no lead in paint but no one had ever uh kind of put much emphasis on it no one had uh monitored or enforced it because it wasn't thought it wasn't really known to be a problem um but once we showed that it was they were like okay yeah that makes sense we will start uh monitoring the paint on the market and we'll start enforcing regulation um so hang yeah on. all right so let me get this straight yeah <laughs> you realize hang on this lead paint is like a global problem you pick a country mm-hmm. and you're like you know what let's just fly to that country buy a crap ton of paint yeah. and just test it for lead yeah and you and your mate go to malawi yeah <laughs> and just buy it buy a load of paint yeah you send it to a lab to test it for lead you realize oh crap this paint has got a load of lead in it then you just chat to the government and you're like bro do you realize your paint has got loads of lead in it mm. and they're like oh yeah that's a good shout. We yeah. should probably do something about this. Yep. And in like, I don't know, like one conversation, you've just uh, hope th- theoretically enabled the passing of legislation to make lead paint illegal in this country, yeah. which has like a national impact in the, at the country level. Yeah, except they already had the legislation. So yeah. they're just going to be implementing the legislation that was previously. Okay. Not- so someone had this bright idea before that, hang on, this lead paint thing is a bit bad. But I guess if it's yeah. just not, if it's not one of those things that immediately comes to mind as a bad thing, people would just be like, "Oh, it's just one of those laws." No one really. Yeah, I think it. basically, like when people put standards in, so it's like a, a mandatory standard. But when people put standards in, I think often, uh, yeah, they they do like kind of the normal paint standard basically, and the normal paint standards there, sh- there should be no lead in paint, um, and you know, lead in paint's bad. But they didn't actually think there was lead in paint in the country. They had no reason to believe that there mm. was lead in paint. They, I think they thought that it was kind of an outdated thing that had been phased out a while ago, which is, I think, what a lot of people think. Like, I'm sure yeah, yeah. that's, pre- yeah. Um, so they had no reason to be monitoring the paint or enforcing it. And then when we said, hey, there is actually a load of lead in the paint. They were like, okay, yeah, that is that is very bad. Of course, they care about the health of their population. So they will uh, start implementing the regulation. Um, so yeah, so that, that's... Nice. That's what that's what we're going for, and it seems to be, seems to be good. I mean, we did do we did do this research, uh, the like paint study, in collaboration with the the University of Malawi with a, a master's student there. So we had um, that input there to get the make sure we kind of understood the the context and the and the uh, paint market mm. and kind of yeah um, yeah. But so that that sounds pretty good, right? Like oh, you know, now they're enforcing the the regulation. 
but that might not be that that might not be sufficient like it, it can be hard to enforce regulation well um there there are probably a lot of countries where there's regulation that is being enforced a little bit or not very well um just because it's yeah i think there are there are lots of things that can come up there so the other thing we're doing is we are uh, talking to the manufacturers the paint manufacturers in malawi um and we're saying hey we found that there's a lot of lead in your paint this is really bad for these reasons um and a, a lot of the time they're not aware of the harms of of lead um or even not aware that the ingredients that they're putting in have lead in um so they've been like okay yeah um we're happy to talk to you about that. Um, and we explain like, oh, the, this regulation is now going to be being enforced. Um, we can help you find alternative ingredients. We can help you reformulate your paint and make it safer. And they're like, yeah, sounds good. So we're working with them um, to help them reformulate their paint. And one of the main kind of things that we're doing with that is actually just identifying the lead-free ingredients, finding like cheap lead-free ingredients that are available in the country. And we're going to like give them a list and say, look, here, it's pretty easy. Um mm. Yeah, just kind of hmm. facilitating the whole the whole process to make it make sure it happens. Because ultimately, we want we want lead paint off the shelves. We don't just want there to be regulation or there to be like it to be said that it will be enforced. We want to like be able to when we repeat our study in a in a year or so, we want to see that there's actually less lead paint on the shelves because that will mean there'll be less lead paint on people's walls and there'll be less lead poisoning in the children. Hmm. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it feels like this is one of those problems where, like, every everyone is weirdly on the same page. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no you know, like big lead. <laughs> yeah, no one campaigning to have lead in paints. <laughs> no like reason to do it. It's just like a relic of a bygone era, and everyone's like, you know what? Let's <laughs> let bygones be bygones, <laughs> and let's get rid of the lead. And so the government's like, yeah, makes sense. And the paint manufacturers are like, cool, yeah, makes sense. You're like, great. Let's let's all be friends. Let's all work on this together. Yeah, it's not like. I don't know, lead is like 10 times cheaper than anything else. And therefore there's mm. like a battle with the capitalists or something like mm. that. It's just like everyone's like, yeah, we should probably get rid of the lead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. It does seem like just one of the main, the main things is just before there just like wasn't the data or there wasn't the awareness. So that's like a big part of our role is just generating that data about there, there is lead in paint in this country. And uh, this is why it's bad. And this is a solution. Like, it seems like that's kind of yeah. the, the bottleneck. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing that you can have that just rock up to, or, you know, anyone in a country can just like buy a load of paint off the shelves and literally just test it for lead. Yeah. <laughs> and that just has potential, has the potential to have such a big downstream impact. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think it's worth taking a step back at that because from what you've described, it sounds very straightforward. Just show up to Malawi, buy some paints yourself, send them off, you know, put it in a in the post box <laughs> to get tested by some lab somewhere. And then you know, send some emails to the government and uh, and chat to them. You know, it, it sounds very straightforward, and you know, I imagine there was probably a lot of complexity that that goes into that. But I I also imagine that you know, before you did this, what what was your perception of like how difficult this would be, or like how many barriers there would be? And like, did you did you ha did you have the sense? That, okay, we're basically just going to show up in Malawi. You know, buy some paint. You know, did, did you have a sense of that, or, or did it feel like this is going to be some huge thing? There's going to be like a bunch of red tape. You know, like yeah, yeah. We definitely thought it would be a much more of a, a big, difficult like process. Um, I think we thought. Well, one, we didn't know that there was going to be lead in paint in Malawi. Mm. Um, two, we didn't know if we would be able to get meetings with like the the relevant stakeholders. Like, would uh, 
the the public health experts and the Malawian public health experts and like policy people would they be interested in talking to us and giving us advice um turned out everyone was super helpful um would the ministry of health be interested in talking to us would the bureau of standards care what about the research we're doing like all of these things we thought would be a a lot more difficult but mm-hmm. um yeah everyone who we've spoken to has just been very um helpful and like just agreed that this is a this is a problem that that can be solved and should be solved so just been super on the same page um yeah so i think i think we thought this could take a couple years we thought we might have to you know re-strategize or yeah Mm. so it was a surprisingly surprisingly simple deal i think often um often before like doing something that that you've never done before there there can be kind of mental blocks where you feel like, you know, there's, there's, there's probably some magic spells that need to be done that I don't have access to. Like, oh, you know, you probably need loads of connections to, 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 to do this thing. Or like, you know, you probably need to, you know, I, I need to have had a PhD in lead paint before anyone would take me. So, yeah. Were there actually any magic spells involved in making this happen? Hmm. I don't think so. I think okay. I thought there would be, but I don't think so. I mean, I yeah. think having, being a doctor and, having a like a medical background probably helped with credibility when like trying to uh, get meetings and, and speak to people yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah. I guess no one asked whether you actually had a PhD in lead paint. No one, <laughs> luckily no one asked if I had a PhD in lead paint. <laughs> like, yeah, she's a doctor. All right then. <laughs> Two years fresh out of med school. <laughs> nice. No. But I mean, like, I don't think I would have been confident to just be like, oh, you know, two years fresh out of medical school doing this stuff if we didn't have the input of a load of experts. Like we were talking to the leading academics in the field. We're talking to uh, like the experts, uh, uh, context specific experts, country experts, um, people who've done similar interventions, uh, people who work in other led NGOs. Like we had like a lot of expert input to guide us. So we're not really just like, you know, going and doing this thing on our own. We're just like, the actors at the end of a chain of a lot of expertise and input, mm. if you see what I mean. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, I'd like to kind of do a, a time skip back to a few years ago. Uh, my mum and I have been watching Lost recently, and we're now on sort of season uh, season five and six and seven, where they're sort of j- jumping back and forth between different timelines. <laughs> and so if, if we can jump back to the timeline where, let's say you're a first-year uh, doctor, like you, you know, it's your first year working full-time as a doctor, at this point, you know this. You know charities exist. Your friend has recently started a charity. Um, did you know about charity entrepreneurship, the, the sort of charity incubator at this point? No, I didn't. I don't think okay. they existed in my first oh, okay. year of med school. Yeah. And so at, at what point, I mean, what, what were you thinking in first year of med school? Was it like, okay, I definitely want to do this uh, you know, career break thing after my two years, but I don't know what I want to do during the career break? Or were you actually just planning to keep going? Or Yeah, I hadn't worked that one out yet. I kind of, I think okay. I thought at the beginning of med school, I thought, oh, maybe I will uh, specialize in global, in, in public health or infectious diseases, one of those two. Um, and then I will become uh, a consultant and maybe I'll work for like a big international organization, maybe like, I don't know, uh, WHO or uh, maybe I would, uh-huh. yeah, like the WHO or something like that. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why are you laughing? He was making a joke. <laughs> 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 Sorry, he was, he, was, he, was, he was doing his bit. Please, please continue. <laughs> I feel like you've probably done that one before. Um, yeah, it's classic. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so, pre- think- so be- before you guys, this, the, the sort of thinking was, okay, I'll like work my way up the ladder, 
join some big organization. Yeah, or maybe do like Doctors Without Borders or something like that. I don't okay, know. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kind of the classic like medical student that wants to work in global health vibe, mm. you know? Okay. Um, th- this, this, this may be a very basic question, but like why, so, and, and we almost said it as a given that uh, a doctor doesn't have very much impact. Mm. Like, can you unpack that for maybe the listeners who are not familiar with that line of reasoning? Like, why does an individual doctor have very little, little impact and why, well, why was that concerning to you? Yeah. So, um, I think basically it's because, um, so there's, there's maybe two parts to it. There's the impact of medicine as a whole in a higher income country, um, is maybe not as significant as we think it is in improving quality and quantity of life, um, yeah, like the, the biggest advances that we've had in terms of like our, our health and quality of life have been more related to um, the like social determinants of health um, and things like hygiene and sanitation um, and generally improved economic situations and that kind of thing, probably. Um, and the interventions that we do in medicine, obviously, are impactful, but maybe they're, like they're not on the margin, increasing health and well-being as maybe as much as we might assume. And then okay. the other thing is that the individual doctor who's contributing to that is only responsible for a very small fraction of it. Um, so like, an, uh, let's say there's, there's a whole country and they install, install a sewage system. <laughs> and prior to that, they didn't have a sewage system. Mm-hmm. That installation of sewage, sewage system across the country, it's going to have like a ridiculously disproportionate impact on the quality and quantity of health, healthy living Mm. of people in that country uh to the to, to the tune of that that very few other medical things can come anywhere near having that level of impact maybe some people will say vaccines mm-hmm. controversial <laughs> vaccines would have that <laughs> level of impact where okay you're actually affecting a large 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 amount of quantity and quality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everything else in medicine is sort of that like edge case of like yes you know a really fancy cool operation with like 100 people working on it can help save the life of a child who's got i don't know a disease or something but it's not on the level of like it's that's not an impact on a national scale. Mm. It's a it's it's a big impact for an individual, but it's not a big impact for a large amount of people. Y- yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's pretty much part of that that thing. Yeah, and then the other thing is that the additional doctor in a country like the UK is not going to be uh, contributing. Is only going to be contributing to a small portion of that. So, like, you can look at, for example, um, countries by the number of doctors they have per person. Um, and you can look at, uh, like metrics for like quality and quantity of life and past a certain point, the additional doctors have a very, very marginal, uh, impact on the quality and quantity of, of, of life of the population. Okay. Um, so like if I wasn't a doctor, someone else would take my place in med school well, even and, if, e- and even if they didn't, yeah. like we have enough doctors in the UK that me not being a doctor me taking a break from medicine is actually not having any impact at all. On, in the grand You're scheme of things a small impact maybe yeah. um a handful like maybe four mm, i'm just trying to work out how many like disability well i don't know that yeah. those metrics are maybe maybe not that helpful but yeah over, over the course of your career the impact that you can have if you're even if you're a doctor and there wouldn't have been another doctor taking your place otherwise 
is much less than the impact you can have even by donating, say, 10% of your income to a charity that will carry out a uh, health or public health intervention in a low-income country, for example. Okay. Um, yeah. So doctors doing clinical medicine, very little impact on the grand scale. I think that is often a thing that people find difficult to wrap their heads around. Like anytime I've mentioned this in a video, um, you know, talking about impact from a utilitarian point of view, there are always comments being like, oh, but a doctor has a huge impact on the person they're serving in front of them right now. How dare you suggest that doctors don't have an impact? They do have an impact. And being nice to a patient is a huge impact. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. you know, we're not saying that there shouldn't be any doctors, right? Yeah. Or like that never, there should never be like some people caring for other people. It's more just like that one additional doctor is not going to contribute as much as potentially um, other other career options. Okay. Um, yeah. And given that you personally, you were interested in maximizing the impact that you as an individual would have mm. on reducing the amount of suffering in the world, it doesn't make very much sense for you to just be a doctor, even though just being a doctor is great and respectable, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. It makes more sense for you personally you, because you want to have a larger impact mm -hmm. to focus on the things that do have a large impact, mm -hmm. public health, infectious diseases, developing countries, mm -hmm. that sort of vibe. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you've like... I think a lot of people feel this working as a doctor as well. Like you're very much working as part of a, a, a wonderful and well-functioning system. Um, and you often feel that your uh, individual contribution isn't making, making the difference. Like the, in, in the UK, like the NHS is, is awesome. Um, but you being part of it is not the thing that makes it great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and that's exactly uh, as it should be. Like a healthcare system should not be dependent on the exemplary performance of individuals, it should be the system as a whole that delivers de decent outcomes for patients mm. rather than individuals doing their individual thing necessarily, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. going above and beyond and being particularly special. Yeah. And also loads of, lots of doctors are really awesome. Like, I don't feel like I'm particularly like, yeah, I don't feel like the next doctor is, is I'm doing a better job than the next doctor, you know, like every people are, people are great and, and they'll, they'll do an awesome job yeah. without me. And I, if I do something that wouldn't otherwise be done, then I can actually have a, like a counterfactual impact or an impact that wouldn't otherwise be had. Um, yeah. Okay. So you're two years into your kind of medical job. You're kind of thinking, you know, I'm I'll do this by the, by the kind of global health career book of, uh, you know, specialize in something, then, you know, join the WHO or something like that, and then try and influence global health that way, you know, playing it by the book, basically. At what point did you kind of discover or decide that actually, actually, you know what, I'm not going to play it by the book. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm going to like, uh, I'm going to start this charity. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess that was to do with just seeing, seeing someone else do it and thinking that looks very impactful and very doable, right? No, no, so, but from what we've, from what we've said, Four years ago, you knew your, your, your friend did it. Yeah. But even as recently as like, you know, three to four, you know, two to three years ago, you were kind of thinking, you know, I, I will um, specialize and become a consultant, all this stuff. Mm. Like, what was the what was the more proximate cause of you uh, mm. starting the charity? Uh, impatience? I don't know. <laughs> like, I was just like... Uh... I have an opportunity now to do the thing, which is what I actually care about. Um, mm. And I didn't see a good reason to wait anymore. I think yeah, yeah. it was just that I had previously thought, you know, follow this, this path that everyone else follows. It's, it's kind of the default. And then I just realized that, that there's no real good reason for that. And mm. I can kind of do the thing that I actually care about and sooner rather than later. And also, um, 
I think I had gained the confidence to take a risk as well. So I think working, I think working as a doctor for two years, um, you, you start to feel competent, like a, a competent professional, like, you know, Adult. who's working in the real world. Um, you no longer just feel like a naive student. You feel like, you know, you, you, you can do stuff and that kind of thing. And I think I just felt like a more competent person and I felt like, um, yeah, I can, I can take a, a scary risk to do something that's not the traditional path and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I think maybe sure. that was actually it in the end was just okay. me feeling like a more confident to do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, what were your concerns before taking the plunge? Um, I guess you, it's just, it's always a bit worrying doing something that's very different from what everyone else is doing. You often think maybe I've got something wrong. Um, if everyone else thinks, you know, following the more traditional path is like the done thing, the right thing to do. Um, you want to be pretty, you need to be pretty confident to think that, uh, it, there might be a better alternative. Um, and I think... Um, yeah, wait, I can't remember what the question was actually. What were your, what, what were your concerns? Oh, what were my concerns? You oh yeah. And the other thing, the big concern is like, well, what is the best thing to do? Like I'm try always trying to like optimize, right. Um, for like my potential impact and it's not clear cut at all. Like what the best route is, um, even what the best cause area is. Like I care about reducing suffering, but maybe I should be focusing on animal suffering. Um, maybe I should be focusing on the long-term future. Maybe I should be reducing the risk of future pandemics. Maybe I should be, uh, you know, uh, trying to improve conditions in factory farms. Um, all of these things are very important and very urgent. Mm. Um, and I spend a lot of time thinking about which which of these I should take. Um, and I think when you're trying to optimize a lot, that can lead to, uh, it can make it very hard to take action. Um, yeah. And I don't think I'd quite realize that. I kept thinking, oh, you know, you, we've got to work out what's the, what's the best thing to do. What's the, what's the what, what path should I take? Like, yeah. how can I, what's the best way to achieve, achieve these, these goals? But actually, if you keep, you, the, you're not going to, you're not going to come to a conclusive answer. Um, and at some point you have to do something. Otherwise you're just going to be spending your whole life researching and yeah, yeah. never making. Be drowning in uncertainty. Drowning <laughs> in uncertainty. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. You know, very, very wise words spoken. <laughs> spoken <there. laughs> All right, listeners, the joke here is that uh, we had a conversation about this where I was <laughs> advocating for this position of, you know, there is uncertainty, but you have to like eventually find some conviction rather than uh, drowning in Anyway, um, I think some people, you know, if they were thinking of leaving a traditional path, might be concerned about the social cost of like, you know, what my friends and family think. You know, nowadays I get to say, oh, you know, I. I'm a doctor and that's a fairly high status thing and everyone knows what it means. If I'm then like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sort of starting this charity. Yeah, it's like lead paint kind of stuff, <laughs> you know. So unglamorous. Yeah, no, not, not in the UK. <laughs> I'm going to do it in Malawi, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. Were you concerned about that, as that aspect of uh, becoming a weirder person? Yeah, a little bit. I was a little bit concerned about that. And I was also concerned about... Uh, yeah, like I didn't want to lose that identity as a doctor because it becomes, yeah, it's just scary to change your identity, especially when it's one you're comfortable with. Um, but fortunately, a lot of my friends and a lot of my community are very engaged in like thinking about things how I think about them. Like, okay. like, like you guys and like 
uh, my friends in the effect of altruism movement and my family as well, like they're all very on board with this, like, you know, uh, idea that I'm is to reduce suffering as much as we can or improve the world as much as we can. Um, so for them, I don't think they would like think badly of the, of the switch particularly, or think it was like a rogue move or not support me with it. So I was pretty lucky with that. Mm. Um, yeah, okay. I think that probably helped me quite a lot that like my my friends and community are like quite supportive of of these alternative takes. Yeah. So for you it's a, it sounds like literally your life's aim is to reduce suffering. Like what's yours? A, a is that A is that fair to say and B how does how does it feel speaking to because most of us do not have it as our life's aim to reduce suffering. Like where 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 does that come from? Um it just seems like a really bad thing. I don't know. <laughs> like, what's your? What, I mean, okay. Or, I don't know if it's just reducing suffering or also increasing positive stuff like happiness and fulfillment and those sorts of things. But yeah, um, I think that is that is the aim. Um, I don't get why it wouldn't be anyone else's. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the interesting thing about this because, like, I mean, you know, I'm I'm making YouTube videos. Tame was making a number crunching tool. We both probably agree that if we were thinking as rational actors, we wouldn't, we would be, it just makes so much sense to have your life aim being to reduce human suffering. (laughs) Um, But I certainly wouldn't, I don't know, like. Yeah, I think, so, okay, so I don't know, I don't know why that makes sense, more sense to me than it does to you. Or maybe, maybe it makes sense to all of us, but for some reason I find it more compelling and like, I feel more driven to act on it. And I wonder if like, so, okay. So I, I suppose I could, I can think about like when I first decided that that made sense to me okay, and yeah. then maybe that it will explain why for me, it seems is like quite a, maybe a, like a, a strong motivator. Um, and I think for me, the first time I started thinking that that would be my, my aim was when, um, I was at school and I had a friend that, uh, died and I thought, okay, this is really bad. This is really bad for his family and for his little brother. It's really bad for his friends. Um, And I thought if I could have prevented that or if I could reverse that, I would, I'd, you know, give away everything I had. I'd give away all my toys. I would, I would sacrifice a lot um, to save the life of my friend, to prevent the suffering of the people um, who, who lost him and that kind of thing. Um, And then I thought, okay, well, if I would do that, then why wouldn't I do that for someone else's friend or someone else's brother? Um, it didn't really make sense that I would be valuing the person that I that I know um, and that's closer to me more than the person that other people care about. Um, and so I thought, yeah, that's pretty messed up that um, we think like that, that we think that because they're close to us that they matter more than the people close to other people. Um, and so, yeah, so then I thought... Um, I just was really uncomfortable with that for a long time. Um, and it didn't make sense to me at all why we behave like that. And then, and then I read this Feminine Affluence and Morality by Peter Singer and I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's what I think. <laughs> that makes sense. And a okay. real philosopher saying it too. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think that's it basically. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, because I, because certainly for me, and I'm, I'm, I feel like this is probably true for Tamor, and I suspect most of the people listening, 
we know that the aim of reducing suffering is like a good one, logically speaking, but we're not compelled to act on it. Just like, you know, I know that eating meat is bad um, and animals suffer and stuff, but knowing it and feeling compelled to act on it are two very, are two quite different things. Mm. Um, and so I guess for you, I want like, is it frustrating speaking to people who don't share that, who would agree with you that, yes, the aim of reducing human suffer of suffering in the world is a good one, but <laughs> sorry, mate, <laughs> I'm going to build a number crunching tool or sorry, mate, I'm going to make YouTube videos about what's in my bag. <laughs> like <laughs> how, how does, how does that feel from where you're sitting? Um, I didn't want to say it feels frustrating. Sometimes I'm like, huh, how does that work? Um, but overall, <laughs> I find it reassuring that when you actually delve into it and when you actually talk to people, they do broadly agree. Like everyone cares about other people. Everyone cares about the people close to them. Yeah, but that, mate, that, makes, that makes it worse. That makes it worse. Uh, they all agree. And yet they're still making number crunching tools. <laughs> I, I use your, I use causal and it's very, very helpful in my charity. So thank you, Tim, you're contributing. And, and, you, <laughs> and you're, you're contributing as well. You help as well. So yeah. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't it doesn't frustrate me. It, it just, I don't know. It makes you sad. <laughs> it makes me sad sometimes. Um, but also, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I haven't gotten my head around that one yet. I think it's something we talk about quite a bit. Like, why are some people, like, compelled to act on what they think is right? And why are some people more chill about it? Mm. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. It's true for, like, you know, in in my life, for example, the, the 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 context in which I see this most often these days is everyone broadly agrees that relying on your job as your only source of income is probably a bad thing, and you should probably you know have other ways of making money just in case something bad happens to you or your job. But like you know, of the people who agree with that, which is basically everyone, one percent of them will actually do anything about it and mm. decide that you know what I am going to start learning skills that let me create sources of passive income and so on. But broadly, everyone's gonna like, like no one's gonna disagree with the, with with the sentiment that you know it, it's it's kind of useful to have money coming in from things other than your job. Mm. Um, just like I don't think anyone's really gonna disagree with the statement that eating meat is probably bad for animals, uh, and we probably shouldn't do it. But then actually doing it isn't an mm. an entirely mm. different thing. So do you have the same thought sometimes with like why aren't people making sources of passive income for themselves? Like blows my mind. It does blow my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I. I I guess I, for me, I've sort of resigned myself that to, to the idea that people are, in a way, people prefer. Oh, what, what's what's the phrase? It's like the the certainty of a suboptimal thing mm. is better than the uncertainty of something that could be better. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a more pithy, tweetable way of phrasing this. Um, or like a big part of it, just like yeah, well, some people just aren't into that sort of stuff. Like you know, just like. I agree with all of your stuff about veganism, but I'm still not <laughs> not vegan myself. Um, you were this weekend. I was this weekend. Yeah, Brighton is a very vegan friendly place. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I don't have a A leads to B leads to C sort of chain of logic that supports anything in this realm. So I was curious what your, mm. what your take on this was. Mm. It seems like you're quite, you know, from a young age, you've always kind of been intrinsically compelled to care you know you've always just like really cared about this and i mean i don't know from, from your point of view has it taken work for you to 
sort of get yourself to take action on this thing or is it you know it just seems like a no-brainer and like are there you know within the effective altruism community are there people who were previously more in like minorities boat where intellectually we agree with all of these things and we agree that you know really it's it's not super justifiable to be doing anything other than <laughs> reducing uh human suffering and suffering as effectively as possible you know are there are there like good are there like nice case studies of people who've gone from having their head in the sand like us to actually then you know doing something about it like you yeah definitely um and in way you are case studies like ali's taking the giving what we can pledge he donates 10 percent of his income to um high impact charities and that's like a a very mm. um that's like a huge contribution um so i think that is a case study in itself um but yeah i think so i think for me it's like this like almost like a quite an emotional drive like i feel like uh yeah it's like i feel very bad about the suffering in the world it upsets me a lot and i really want to do something about it otherwise i will feel even worse about it you know whereas i think there are a lot of people who are maybe more like you guys and you're like yeah this makes sense as an argument um and maybe i don't like feel like super compelled and super strongly that this is something i have to act on but it makes sense and so i'll do something about it um and so they'll do things like take the giving what we can pledge or um choose like high impact careers or donate to give well and that kind of thing um i think that's that's very very common um in the effect altruism community and i think Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, there was there was one one blog post in particular that you sent me um, mm. when I was querying this exact issue. I think like a year or two ago, about the um, internal carometer and about how it sort of forgive me for putting for uh, trying to describe you, but I think you have quite a well highly tuned internal carometer. Like you care, you genuinely care about the suffering of people around the world to the point that it does emotionally affect you. Whereas me and Tame care about the suffering of others intellectually, but unless it was someone in front of us or a close family member or a close friend, we wouldn't actually care about it emotionally. Like it's, it does not register particularly highly on our, on our internal carometer if it's someone that we don't know. And mm-hmm. so uh, the, this blog post, well, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the, in the show notes if I can find it. It's like they argue that, you know, in a way we, we have to accept the foibles and the weaknesses of the human mind and the inability to comprehend large numbers of things like you know if a friend were to die in front of me or or or, or if i if i imagine myself caring about one death and then i try to imagine myself caring about a thousand deaths or a million deaths it's just it's physically impossible for my brain to comprehend that level of magnitude yeah you can't and scale your care exactly so that easily. yeah yeah and so what this blog post was saying is that recognizing that okay my brain is terrible at doing this thing Therefore, I'm going to act in a way that recognizing my, my brain is terrible at doing these things. And I will not, I will not, I will not require myself to, to emotionally care about the suffering of a million people. I will act in a way that makes me care about them because I know it's the right thing to do, even if I don't feel compelled to do so. And that blog post was like, like really sort of groundbreaking for me because I thought there was something like, I thought I was weird because if you would like, I thought it was weird that I don't lose sleep over the fact that someone's dying across you know somewhere in the country right now like i just honestly couldn't care less but i know that logically speaking i should and it was a nice like oh, okay cool like you can actually be effective in this sort of altruism stuff mm. without having that feeling of like emotional caringness yeah if that makes sense yeah i think that's a that's a really good point and i think the other thing of like as well as like the, the caring or the reasoning 
is like the realization that there is something you can do. Because I think that's another thing that leads to inaction, even when you think it's an important thing, is that you don't, it's not obvious that there is, there are actually things that can make a difference. Like you hear a lot about, you know, aid not really being effective and um, problems with charities and that kind of thing. Um, So I think that's another thing is like realizing that there are interventions that are very evidence-based and that have been shown to improve to save lives and improve the quality of lives. Um, and that's why, like, that's why I wanted to give the, give the shout out to GiveWell because they're one of the organizations that show that through really rig- rigorous evaluation and, and le- result in people not feeling as like helpless. Like actually there are concrete actions and there are, there are ways um, to make a difference. And that makes it easier to, to try if you know that you can be successful. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I remember reading the Carometer blog post. I think I think I should revisit it. We'll link uh, we'll link to it in the show notes as well. Hmm. Hmm. So I think interestingly, like since since the last time you've been on this episode uh, on 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 this podcast, and our mutual friend Neil Nandes come on as well, talking about similar things, you actually had quite a few people reach out to you um, about this sort of altruismy type stuff. Who, who who is the sort of person that feels compelled to reach out to you after hearing hearing you speak? So I think it tends to be people who already think about this stuff and already kind of basically are kind yeah already thinking this way but then didn't realize that this is a a thing that other people are thinking or that this is like a effective altruism is like a searchable term um and that there is there are things that they can do and there are other people discussing this as well and that kind of thing um i think that's often it is like people who are like ah this resonates with me and this is already how i think about it um and they want to get more involved and find out more and talk to other people about it hmm. um yeah so anyone is welcome to to chat always happy to chat with people um nice yeah. and you had one of these encounters the other day so let, you, you know this person let's call her jane reached out to you yeah what was that conversation with jane like or like what did jane want and how did she get value out of the chat with you yeah so i think um she was like one of these people who's already already thinking like this and i think she had felt like uh I don't know, like kind of naive and like, oh, you know, I want to, I want to improve the world and people around her maybe are thinking, oh, you know, how, how, how sweet, but maybe slightly naive. Um, (laughs) And then I think she heard about, she, I think she listened to the podcast that we did and and heard about effective altruism. um, And she was like, wow, this is so cool. This is the thing. This is maybe not just uh, me being, me being naive. This is maybe an actual, uh, valid way of looking at the world and of trying to take action in the world. Um, and so, yeah, we had an awesome chat, um, talking about that and talking about careers and talking about, um, how to think about what to do, uh, with your life and that kind of thing. Um, and that was really nice. And it reminded me a lot of when I first found out about, uh, when I first read Peter Singer and, and when I first found out about effective altruism and it's very validating, I think, I think that's the main thing. Um, yeah. Nice. Mm. And so like if someone's listening to this now and, and, and thinking, okay, I'm sold on this broad idea of effective altruism. Do you have any recommendations for sort of next action step, potentially sort of stratified into low, medium and high commitment levels? <laughs> yeah. if, we, if we can think of it in those terms. Yeah. Because I imagine most people listening to, to this are not going to suddenly quit their jobs and start an effective charity. That, that's a very high commitment thing. Mm. But like, what are the, the non-drastic things that one can do to, to, you know have have an impact broadly yeah so i guess the kind of lowest uh the lowest 
bar for kind of getting more involved is just like finding out more about it so you can uh search effect altruism um read about it i think the giving what we can website has like a useful list of resources to find out more um 80, hours talks a lot about careers they're quite focused on like uh impact in the long-term future um or there's a couple books that are really really interesting to read so the life you can save by peter singer and doing good better by will mccaskill um and there are podcasts as well, um, which are available if you if you search these these things. And um, so I'd say that's like the kind of the the, the starting point is just like finding out more. Um, and then um, a kind of medium thing would be uh, thinking about. Well, so there are two things. So I think the way that people often think about it is like, what do we have to contribute? We have we have our our time and we have our resources. So your time could be. Uh, what you're going to do with your career or what you're going to do uh, with your spare time and volunteering. Um, and uh, you could like just start thinking like, you know, how can I have an impactful career, um, positive, have a positive impact. And there are those resources like 80,000 hours and there are some other kind of career, career advice websites where you can think about that. And then if you want to do something with your, with your money, um, which is also a really important way to make a difference, um, there's these high impact charities. So um, we mentioned GiveWell, which has a list of some really high impact charities. Um, and then there's also animal charity evaluators if you're interested in the animal side of things. Um, and there's also, you can make a commitment, like you can take the Giving What We Can pledge, like uh, we've done where you commit to donate 10% of your future earnings to high impact charities. So those are a couple of actions of varying commitment i suppose nice i don't know can you think of any others um probably quite a lot oh getting involved with your local effect altruism community as well if you're if you're interested so uh, a lot of universities have them um some cities have them as well um and also you can start one if you wanted hmm. nice yeah. yeah i think i think like the giving what we can pledge in particular is is, is, is very interesting like I, I i'd heard about it first when when we first became friends i think in like 2015 or thereabouts mm-hmm. And it took me like four years to sort of get around to thinking, okay, I'm actually going to make this commitment because I kept on thinking, damn, 10% of my income is a lot of money. And like, uh, I feel like I need, I need that money to buy nicer clothes or like get more takeaways and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just had this thing of like, you know, that's like paying 10% more tax. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, I, I sort of realized over time that actually my, for, for most of us, provided we're above the poverty line, a 10% reduction in our in our kind of pocket money is actually not really going to have a big impact on our lives mm. and can potentially have a ridiculously large impact on other people's lives. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just to do with like the, the global distribution of wealth. Like if you're, if you're on like the average starting salary of a, like a UK graduate, you're in the richest 3% of the world. Like it's totally insane on the scale of things. So it makes sense that that money is spent on someone in the, in the poorer I don't know, 50% could go a lot further in terms of mm. improving their happiness. And there is like diminishing returns on, on how happy more money makes you. And there's also evidence that giving money away makes you happier because it's fulfilling and meaningful. Um, mm. I don't know. Have you found that? Uh, I can't say I have um, on, on an emotional <laughs> level, but I know it's a thing on a logical level. And so I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing. So when you, when you and I made a video where I sort of publicly took the pledge, um, you know, my mom wasn't a little, wasn't a huge fan of that because, because like there's this thing in Islam that if you, if you give with your right hand, your left hand shouldn't know about mm-hmm. it. This thing of like, mm-hmm. oh, I should, 
you know, giving to charity should be like a, an anonymous thing, not a thing that you do for clout. Mm. And when you and I made that video where I was like, hey guys, you know, I'm giving money to charity every year. It sounds, it, it can, it, it ran the risk of sounding like I was trying to, I don't know, virtue signal or like yeah. do it for clout and things like that. And my mom wasn't like, like not a fan of this. Mm. But a few weeks after that video came out, I got an email from um, this guy, like I think his name is Ben, who runs the Center for Effective the in in charge of giving what we can oh yeah and had like luke luke, luke yeah. yeah um and uh, he he said that sort of in the aftermath of that video they had like a surge a slight surge in number of like people taking the pledge and he was like if we compare it to what our baseline levels were and then sort of that video's impact he said he, he estimated that sort of because of that one video an extra million dollars has been pledged to effective charities um and if it's so good and if it costs like around two thousand five hundred dollars on average to save a life via the against malaria foundation what is that table that's like 500 lives saved something like that sure like that. <laughs> off, the, off the back of a single video and i was like damn okay like that felt good in a in a nice way because it made me feel somewhat warm and fuzzy, <laughs> which i don't normally feel that the counterfactual impact of me making a youtube video is actually somewhat significant and by going down this path of becoming like a an internet influencer talking about what's in my bag Mm. there are occasionally times where drawing attention to these sorts of things can actually have more of an impact beyond Mm. beyond what i would expect yeah somewhat Um, significant is an under exaggeration 500 lives like think about saving one life like that's amazing like that would be so cool and 500 is yeah that's insane so yeah that's very sick yeah i've I've been meaning Oh, sorry. sorry go on. I think the other thing is like, yeah, it, it's, I think it's pretty uncomfortable for a lot of people to be like public about giving or public about like, I don't know, even like saying like, oh, I want to like reduce suffering in the world. Like, yeah. like sounds <laughs> like, a, bit, right, <laughs> uh, a bit cringe. Yeah. Um, like, like, I think the reason why I think it's worth that cringe factor is you want to make it a norm, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want, you want like, uh, I don't know, giving 10% or thinking about these things to become like a cultural norm. And that's the way to contribute to it is just by doing mm. it publicly. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we, we've talked about this recently, but I think a lot of people, you know, it, it seems like, you know, you advocate for this whole effective altruism stuff. I think a lot of people would be hesitant to try and change other people's opinions on things because I think there's a general sense of like, you know, People, people can live their lives the way they want. If it works for them, then, you know, who are you to say otherwise or whatever? And there's, there's this general sense that, like, being chill is, uh, being chill is a really good thing. Are you, are you worried about, like, I don't know, coming across as judgy or, like, preachy or anything like that? Yeah. If you're trying to, like, change people's views on things and, and being like, hey, I give all my money to charity. What, why don't you kind of think? Obviously, that's not what you do. But, like, you know, are you worried about coming across that way? Yeah, I do worry about coming across that way. Um, and I think that actually what it is, is more like making it more aware that that's a thing that people do. And that's an option because actually a lot of people do want to do that. Um, yeah. yeah. Rather than being like, you should do that. It's more like people do have those values and people do care about these things. And, you know, there are, there are people doing them and you can do them too, if you want to kind of thing, Mm. um, feels more, uh, comfortable that way. Um, and I, I think also it's quite difficult to change people's minds if they actually don't agree. Um, mm. so yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of this, a lot of this sort of stuff, 
the 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 pros and cons are just sort of worlds apart like you know the downside of doing something i don't know an episode like this is someone might comment be like oh you guys have got an agenda you guys are being a bit bit preachy it's like okay cool (laughs) the potential upside of doing a podcast like this or you kind of spending your life talking about this sort of stuff is actually you could literally save (laughs) one if not two if not more if not hundreds if not potentially thousands of lives uh, through the stuff that you're doing. And so if a couple of people are like, oh, felt a bit uncomfortable by the fact that you felt, you know, we, we you were telling me to donate 10% of my char- income. Okay, fine. Easy, <laughs> easy price to pay. I've, you know, pay that price any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. yeah, no, I back it. So on that note, I've been meaning to actually at some point get around to taking the pledge. So I think oh, uh, now, now we, can right now. So we can go through the process now and hopefully that can... Uh, walk people through actually what it looks like. So I'm on my phone. I'm going to, what am I going to? Giving what we can. Giving what we can. I'm searching that on Google. I'm clicking on uh, the, all right, I, I clicked on the ad version of the thing. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, already, I'm already net negative. I, I've, I've cost giving what we can, maybe like 10 cents or something. We probably have okay. a Google ad grant. It's probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm on the website. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm clicking on join. I suppose they've done that because they don't want other people bidding on that keyword. Depends <laughs> <laughs> on of your income. <laughs> Here are the back details. All right. I I clicked on join from the menu. There's a bunch of text. I'm not going to read it. All right. There's a section saying the pledge. Uh, there's a, there's three bullet points. Ten percent plus of income, lifetime slash career long, and donated to effective charities. And then there's a button saying take the pledge. And then it says join 5,916 members. Uh, so I'm clicking this button called Take the Pledge. This is a uh, small number of people. Yeah, I thought it'd be higher. Now it's not too late, but it feels like everyone knows about this stuff. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And yeah. other people other people maybe, you know, do it in other yeah. ways and that kind of thing, I suppose. Yeah. Now it's asking me to make an account. I don't know. That's a bit much. Same address. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that. <laughs> I'll do it next week. <laughs> uh, I'm clicking on sign up. All right. They have Google login. Nice. <laughs> this is quite exciting. Yeah. A potentially quite impactful role of that developer that incorporated the Google login, <laughs> knowing that there are some people that won't bother <laughs> making, a, making an account. <laughs> got my google login password wrong <laughs> then you're gonna get two-factor authentication <laughs> i really hope i don't all right i've made an account it says you haven't taken the giving what we can pledge and i said and i'm, I'm clicking i'm ready to pledge and now there's a button saying take the giving what we can pledge we haven't actually explained this right we just i think we all know what it is do you want to just quickly explain it um lucia yeah it's it's a, a pledge to donate 10 percent of your future income uh, or your, your, yeah, your income, um, to the causes that you think are the most impactful, um, effective charities, basically. Yeah. So every year, 10% of your post-tax, you know, like... Post-tax, yeah. Post-tax, okay. So right. the government gets... I guess it depends if it's like... If it's like a... I think pre-tax. Come on, man. So... <laughs> yeah, there's actually an inner circle of pledge takers so, pre-tax. So I think I worked out pre-tax, but then with the gift aid, it's kind of similar. It's tax like, deductible. Yeah, well, I mean, donating to charity is tax deductible, isn't it? Fantastic. Cool. 
Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> surely you know that. Yeah, so you can so you can like work out like you know the twenty five in the UK twenty five percent gift aid, and then you know it, it's kind of it became quite equivalent post tax plus pre tax tax deductible oh, situation. Okay, cool. Um, All right, I'm clicking the button saying take the giving what we can pledge. Now I have roll. to enter my date of birth. <laughs> Mate, your social security number. <laughs> <laughs> I have to add a physical my home address so they can send me a copy of my pledge. Yeah. Yeah, nice. you get a nice certificate. Okay. Next. I have to enter my income. We should get him to take the founder's pledge next time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mate, we need to stop having you on the podcast, all right? <laughs> <laughs> it's an expensive, expensive hobby. <laughs> We didn't even have any sponsors this week. <laughs> uh, okay. I have to convert my salary into dollars. Oh, no. I made a new tab and now I've lost the tab. Well, guys, I tried it. <laughs> yeah. you, might, you might as well just, just give up now. No, right. How do I search through tabs in uh, iPhone Safari? You click that little tab thingy. Have you, have you got like a zillion tabs open? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. There must be a search, lad. Hmm. <laughs> I'm oh, yeah, scrolling through many tabs. Absolutely nightmare when that happens. <laughs> oh my god, so many tabs. Oh, you, if you go all the way to the top, uh, you can then search tabs. Oh, there we go. Like literally all the way. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I feel like we're going to have to cut some of this out so people don't think it's such a laborious <laughs> <Yeah>. process. <laughs> like, like, really <laughs> <take a pledge. laughs> yeah, this is actually net negative. People were thinking of taking the pledge until we got to this bit of the podcast. <laughs> Okay, got it. Save income. Right next. Should we say if an, if anyone's listening to this and you're you're taking the pledge as a result of this episode, then email us to let us know, and we'll give you a free year of access to our members-only community where we have weekly events and Zoom calls and stuff to hang out with people. Oh, cool! Oh, that would be fun. Can I join? Of course. That you're taking fun. the pledge. Yeah. Make sure you email us evidence. I will email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'll get you in. It's asking me where do I plan to give the money. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of options. Elimination project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of mine is going towards letting. Let yeah, it's, that's not like a commitment. That they're just trying to, you know, collect data. Um, but you mm. don't have to stick to the one you choose there. Um, I think I picked uh, against Malaria Foundation mm-hmm. just because it feels like the easy one. Mm. All right, and yeah. it's not like a, a legally binding thing or anything. Of course, it's like a, a personal commitment. Yeah. Now signing my name on the dotted line. And now it says, congratulations on taking the pledge. Woo! I can do a dashboard. Well done, you How are you feeling? This has been the most expensive two minutes of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels broadly, I feel broadly indifferent, but I know this is the right thing to do. And I, and I imagine, you know, once a year when I come to doing the thing, I imagine I'll feel good about that. And, uh, <laughs> Still waiting for that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> any year now. <laughs> any year, yeah. <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> no, look, it's obviously the right thing to do. Um, all right, that's it. Awesome. That's very cool. Where Where do you think you'll do, you'll donate this year? Um, I think I'll donate to Leap, man. Lead, oh. lead elimination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm donating this year. Because like, are we allowed to talk about that? The, the conversation you had recently with the, the, the people. I don't think so. Okay, yeah. cool. 
Yeah, I'm going to donate to Leap this year. <laughs> yeah, so by the way, Leap is um, Lead Exposure Elimination Project, which is the name of our, our lead charity. Oh, yeah, we should plug that at the start. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so we are, we, we've been going for like nine months now um, and we had a seed grant initially. Um, and uh, we would like to, so we, we work, we've worked in Malawi, we're working in Malawi and we would like to continue working there to support the paint industry to actually switch to lead-free. Um, we've also expanded to Zimbabwe, uh, where we're running a paint study. Um, so early stages there. Um, and we're also starting a partnership in Madagascar to run a paint study there. Um, and we want to continue working in these three countries and also expand to hopefully a couple other countries um, to do the same thing, to get lead paint off the market and to reduce childhood lead poisoning. But we're, 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 our, lacking in lacking in funding i think there's like there's this difficult thing for uh oh, here we go what <laughs> what god <on>, please continue <laughs> there's, okay. this, there's this difficult thing for um i think new charities where like you can often get seed funding if you have a good idea um or if there's a yeah but and then there's like funding for more established charities but there's often like a kind of a gap in the middle where uh, a lot of it can be quite difficult to get get funding kind of in the kind of year in the year one area which is where we are right now so yeah we do have a, a significant funding gap uh, to be able to continue what we're up to so thank you guys i very much appreciate you you directing your your pledge money to leap nice yeah if anyone wants to donate money to lucia's charity we'll stick a link in the video <laughs> description so you can check it out yeah i hate this <laughs> <laughs> have you, have, i'm so bad at fundraising it's literally like the worst part of running a charity you know that, that uh, have you seen that, that youtube series between two ferns Mm-hmm. It's like Zach Galifianakis, and he, did, however, however he pronounces the name, um, he did an episode with Barack Obama, <laughs> and it was just so funny where he was like, <laughs> Barack w- w- was was on there to plug his like Affordable Care Act or like Obamacare or something. <laughs> and Zach was just Hel- like, healthcare.gov, oh, healthcare.gov. Oh, here, here we go. You know, do the plug. We all know that's the only reason you're here. <laughs> it was like, well, Zach, <laughs> there are um, fifty million, fifty million Americans who are. Uh, who I can't, I can't, I can't do it at the table. <laughs> I feel like you're just better at this. <laughs> I, I don't know the quote, to be honest. But we'll link to the video. Yeah. But yeah, good stuff. Alrighty. Um, probably start to wrap things up. Maybe I'll read a review. I, I subscribe to an apolitical podcast. Oh my God. Unacceptable. <laughs> right. This is a uh, five star review uh, entitled, I love this podcast. Uh, this person says, I have OCD and it is really hard to fall asleep without something to listen to. And I can honestly say I absolutely love this podcast. I'm a massive fan and it really calms me down when I have a panic attack. And I love the fact that you guys can get off a top and get off topic and not make the episode boring. It allows me to realize I'm not listening to two robots who have been programmed to talk about just one thing. So thank you for everything and keep going. Love your content Ali on YouTube. And my favorite videos are your day in the lives. Have a great day and hope you get a, and get a, a chance to read this uh have a great day can't wait for your next episode Aww. thank you to wow. dr du beef in great britain that's so nice, nice. Review. that's a nice yeah. review good stuff all right thanks all right. Uh, lucia where can people find you online and uh, learn more about uh leap yeah leadelimination.org um and if you anyone wants to email me my email is lucia at leadelimination.org cool and are you are you happy for anyone to email you if they've listened this far? Yeah, go for it. Email cool. me. We can chat. Nice. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, for everyone, for listening in. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Great stuff. 
That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at nOverthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.